that music definitely hypes you up to talk about digital adoption. Thanks for our producers for playing that. What a classic. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another insightful episode of the Digital Adoption Show, where we dive into key topics that are shaping the modern workplace. In today's episode, we'll explore the concept of a skills-based organization and the crucial role technology adoption plays in its success. So let's get started. I'm your host for the episode. My name is Nick Redder. I'm a strategic account director at WhatFix. I've worked in digital adoption for four years and been very fortunate to witness many clients create better digital experiences for both their clients and prospects. Today, I'm really excited to host Ben Cowan, who is the director of skills strategy at Degreed, which is a leading learning experience platform. With extensive expertise in the field of skills development and talent management, Ben plays a really critical role in shaping the skills strategy for Degreed's clients. His focus lies in helping organizations identify and bridge skill gaps, design effective learning programs, and leverage technology to drive workforce development. With a passion for innovative solutions, Ben works closely with companies to ensure their skill-based initiatives always align with business goals and foster continuous learning and growth. Welcome to the show, Ben. Great to have you. Yeah, great to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation today. Absolutely. So we are going to talk about skills-based organizations as well as how digital adoption plays in it. But for our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the concept of digital adoption, really briefly, why don't you tell us what you how you define it? What do you think it is? Yeah, I think one of the challenges for a lot of pieces of technology is this kind of idea of platform fatigue. There's a lot of ever present, you know, more and more coming every day new platforms people are being asked to engage with, being pushed to engage with, not just in their professional life, but in their personal life as well. So really making sure that we are thinking through the value proposition, making it easy to engage, easy to quickly see value and enjoyment from that experience is the challenge. It can't just be, this is a really great piece of technology, or this is very effective, and therefore, once we open the doors, everyone will come running in. It's really important to make it easy for people to have that first interaction, have a successful and a beneficial first interaction that you can build on and grow from there. Yeah. So one thing you said really resonates with me, platform fatigue. And I think we can all, if we all go to our Okta or whatever we use, in my role at least, I have 11 to 12 apps that I know are really, really good that will help me with the process. But to your point, it's not like we get this piece of technology and email that says, hey, we have this new tool. It's fantastic. Come use it. It has to really be directed and somewhat forced upon people. So they leverage it in the way that it was designed to when you bought it. So platform fatigue, I'm going to steal that one for you. So some of the ways that Degree, just in terms of our design of our product, helps to create that, that sustained adoption. One of the things that we talk about a lot is this idea of the flow of work, making sure that we're not just enabling people one avenue or one way to engage with the tool or with the platform, but rather we're making the platform kind of meet them where they are throughout their day and throughout their journey. So it's not just go log into the browser, put in your SSO. This is the only way in. It's a mobile app. It's a browser extension. It's a Teams integration. We want to make sure that we're sort of always at fingertips, always within reach as yeah. people encounter times where they might want to engage with a skill or engage with learning. We also really focus on this idea of, of consumer grade. A lot of professional tools, tools for, you know, sort of larger organizations, a lot of them were designed with the administrators first because they're the buyers. 
and the actual end users a bit of an afterthought. And it shows, frankly, sometimes in the way that their platforms are designed, how intuitive they are, how polished the user interface is. So Degreed really focuses on user first uh, in terms of our design constraints. People have higher expectations of technology. They're using really sophisticated, you know, TikToks and, and Instagram, things like that. So they know when something looks clunky or just doesn't look right or doesn't feel intuitive and it'll turn them off. Uh, and then one last thing that we really focus on in terms of a best practice for, for digital adoption is making sure there's a sense of empowerment and control over the tool. They don't want to log into a tool and all the decisions have been made for them and they're just doing their homework. They really need to be able to customize, make their own choices, control their own profile, control where and how they want to interact with the tool. So it feels like it's their choice and it's their tool that they're leveraging rather than yeah. something that's just sort of being shoved at them from a compliance perspective. Yeah, really good points. And one thing you mentioned that resonated was you talked about the standards people have for technology and the people that have used high-grade technology in like Instagram or TikTok. So if you think about how digital adoption is growing, imagine what it's going to be like in 10 to 15 years when you have those teenagers or preteens in the workforce, and let's be honest, they're going to have zero tolerance or patience mm -hmm. for funky technology that takes up time and doesn't help them do their job. So that's kind of cool for the future. And hopefully we can all do a good job at creating better digital experiences. So um, yeah, the bar will keep getting higher and higher. And it's it's up to us all in the industry to make sure that we're, we're keeping pace. Yeah. I mean, now these kids are growing up with this, whereas you and I, I assume we're probably the slickest piece of tech we use was probably AOL Instant Messenger with our buddies. In the <laughs> right. Very sophisticated for its time. But yes, now would, would be laughed out of out of any user experience. Yeah, no, it's funny. I remember that was actually a business tool in the early to mid 2000s. We all used AOL Instant Messenger before Teams and everything. I actually remember my username, which is kind of crazy. Well, good stuff. So, you know, digital adoption, I mean, really for me, companies spend so much money on software and we digital adoption just help the software be used correctly, right? Whether you are on a retail banking site or on a workday or Salesforce, you want to get done what you want in your moment of need and use the technology as a way to accomplish your business processes and goals. So again, with, as we said, with software exploding, continue to explode. I mean, I think besides personnel and real estate, it's the third highest potentially spend in an enterprise. Venture funding's tied, you know, dried up a little bit here, but there's going to be more and more venture funding vendors. And it's been even more confusing about which technologies. Therefore, they need that personal trainer, digital person over your shoulder, helping them get done what they want. So in the spirit of that, talking about people using technology, you know, digital adoption helps enable skill-based organizations. How do you personally define a skill-based organization? And then in your career degree, what are some of the benefits that your clients have seen? Yeah, so skills-based organization is very much a term of the moment. It's A lot of people are talking about this. A lot of people are, are heavily focused on it. But at its core, the idea is relatively simple. Essentially, it's just making skills be the primary way you understand the people in your organization and the way you 
make decisions around hiring, around development, even around mobility and compensation and promotion in some cases. Now, it's not to say it would be the only consideration, but it is always a critical consideration throughout the talent life cycle. So it's just reframing the way that you view and look at people around the skills that they have, this you know sort of collection of abilities that make up that person. And once you do that, it opens up a lot of doors because essentially what it does is it changes your perception of people from what's on their business card, which is what they happen to be doing right now, to a much more broader and holistic view of people of what they could be doing. It's It opens up a lot of doors for possibilities of, yes, this person happens to be doing this very specific task right now. But if we understand the skills they're utilizing to do those tasks, as well as other skills they happen to have that they just might not be using right this moment, we can much more easily understand not only how we might be able to change processes or, or have these people adapt to new experiences, but also understand where else they might be able to be helpful or, or deployed across the organization. So some of the critical benefits we're seeing early days especially around the learning space, which is obviously near and dear to my heart as, as Degreed is a skills-based learning platform. When you start to focus your learning and your development decisions on a skills-based approach, you can get much more specific, much more accurate, much more effective, and much more sustainable with your investments and with the time that you're, you're spending in learning. We had one client who was a mobile device manufacturer who was able to actually reduce their spend on learning by 50% while actually increasing the effectiveness of the learning in terms of time spent learning and content consumed because they were able to be surgical and they were able to be specific of exactly what skills people need to, to do this work or to do new work that we're giving them and match the learning exactly to the problem. Whereas a traditional approach might just be sort of guessing at, well, we think they need this, we think they need that, or you throw everything at the wall and, and you push way too much content that people don't need, aren't interested in. It's just inefficient and it's not super effective. Yeah. Another well, really interesting way to think about the promise of a skills-based organization is your ability to understand your sort of organizational structure or the way that you're deploying talent. Traditional org charts, they're very flat and they're very kind of constricted and constrained to just job titles, maybe a job description that was written five years ago that was sort of vague to begin with. And it's just very difficult to understand what can change, how could it change. But when you add that layer of skills and you really understand what's possible for the talent in your organization, that org chart starts to become three-dimensional. And you can find really interesting opportunities of this group of people over here, even though their job title doesn't have anything to do with this job title over here, the skills are actually pretty similar. So it opens up doors for if these people are interested in moving over here, or maybe there's excess capacity, it just becomes a lot easier and a lot more flexible to make those workforce planning and deployment decisions. And then one of the last pieces, and this is always very important is it's not just about learning and talent benefits of which there are many and many, and I could go on and on, but what is the benefit to our business leaders around this topic? When you're rolling out a new strategy, inherent in that new strategy is, is a change in behavior. You're asking people to do something different. So when you understand the skills that people have, it becomes much easier to understand 
are our people going to be able to do this new thing that we're asking them to do? Do we have the muscle internally to go on this path that I would like to take us on? If not, how big is that gap? So you can get ahead of it. You can get people ready. You can build those skills. Or you might even decide, hey, we're just really far away from this and we need to bring in some outside talent to help this. But the key is, you know, ahead of time, rather than roll out the strategy, it falls flat. You don't know why. It turns out six months later, you uncover people just didn't have the skill, didn't have that ability to be able to carry it forward. Yeah. So my career, I can think of colleagues I've had that nobody knew they were talented at certain areas. For example, they were in sales, but they wanted to do marketing. And the, the two examples I'm thinking of, these people had to leave their current organization to get that opportunity. Whereas if they had had something that was more analytical about their skills during the onboarding or pre-hire phase, you know, pre-start day phase, it could have been very different. So people want to try Absolutely. new things. Yeah. I mean, it's it sounds like it's a really essential part of onboarding. And we know that good onboarding can really set the tone for somebody's tenure at their company. So all good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What research is showing us right now is the number one reason people are leaving their organization is a perceived lack of growth of, of a new opportunity. Yeah. And if you're not taking the skills-based approach, most career paths are just a straight line directly yeah. up. But to your point, people don't really think that way anymore. They want to try new things. They want to they want to weave and they want to kind of zip across the different functions. But if you haven't given them a way to document and show what they can do, even if it's not what they're doing right now, and you haven't mapped out what skills are required in these other pieces, it's just extremely difficult to navigate that or to find those people. You mentioned finding experts, somebody who was doing sales, but had a lot of marketing capabilities and nobody knew about it. A client I worked with had a great story where they were preparing to spend a lot of money on an outside training or consultant to come in and teach their people about a particular skill. But because they had this skill inventory in place, they actually found out that so-and-so is an adjunct professor who teaches a course in this particular topic at a local university. It's not part of their job. It's just something they're good at, something they're passionate about. But you wouldn't have known that otherwise. You would have spent a lot of money on bringing in an outside expert when you had the expert right there. You just kind of didn't know that that person was yeah. hiding. Yeah, no, great point. So, I mean, so this is all really good. I mean, everybody wants to have their employees happy, have their employees feel appreciated, and that their skill sets are being utilized in the ways that the employee wants. But how do you get started with this, this kind of skill-based approach? Because it sounds awesome, but I'm like, where would I get started among my day? That would be great to understand. Well, yeah. Yeah, th that's the rub. It's 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 a yeah. beautiful picture. But a lot of organizations are, are, are not there right now, and, and, and they're seeing this, this beautiful, idyllic world of, of skills all the time, all over the place, and the benefits that can happen. And then they're looking around at their existing processes and systems and thinking, oh, this, we're just not here right now. So really, I, I think the, the best way to get started is to get started. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not something you're going to do in a couple of months or even in a year. It's something that is, is a transformation. And it's important to understand it that way and be realistic about what you're going to do and, and prioritize. So I just named a whole bunch of things that could be use cases or could be value stories of becoming a skills organization. And I didn't even name half of them. But 
be realistic around you're not going to do all of them right away. Which pieces of this are most important for you right now and are most achievable right now? So you might start with that internal mobility use case. You might just start with, hey, let's give people some visibility of where they could go based on the skills they have. Some people, it's about closing critical skill gaps where they're focusing on just one or two or, or a couple of skills that are most critical to a new strategy or, or to changes in the market. One example, very top of mind for a lot of folks is AI and machine learning. All of a sudden that became, you know, a panic thing where everybody felt like they needed to figure that out right away. And, and you could argue that they do need to figure it out right away. Uh, so really just thinking about, okay, let's just pick those couple of skills related to that field and let's just start there. Let's see what we have. Let's, let's give people a way to build it. One organization that we partnered with built out a series of sort of micro credentials to help people start to build and document that expertise in artificial intelligence and machine learning, as well as covering a more broader spectrum of giving everybody an intro to this. So they were not only lifting all boats, but they were building that, that deep expertise intentionally. So think about what is going to give you the most value. What are the pieces that are most ready for this transformation? Start there and then expand. So I, I like to call them sort of training wheels, skilled experiences. Keep in mind that all of the stakeholders in your organization are going to need to come along on this skills journey and, and change their mindsets around how we think about learning and work and talent. So to the way that you were talking about making things very easy, getting people to understand exactly what they need to do when they get into a system, take that same approach. Make it easy for people to engage initially and then you can grow and expand from there. Another thing to keep in mind as you're thinking about getting started in a limited perspective, you don't need to do the whole company at once. There might be a part of your company that is more ready for this mindset shift. Start there, get them on board with some new systems, some new tools, some new frameworks, and then they become your internal use case. You can point to them when you're rolling it out to the rest of the organization and say, hey, we already rolled this out here. It went great wouldn't you like to to come along for the ride? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes sense. And I'm sure you have a lot of experience getting people up and running and helping them think about it in a fragmented way to get started, choose a business unit and then move on. So that that's, I really appreciate you sharing that. I wanted to talk a bit about new technology implementations and how you work with clients on that. So take a deep breath. Like, so for me, three weeks ago, I logged into my online banking account. It was completely different because there was a, an M&A activity. I literally was like sweating and immediately felt anxiety. And I feel the exact same way, even though I know the technology is going to help me when in my career we've rolled out a new CRM or a new HRM or something like that. But I guess, what do you do to ensure smooth transition for major technology implementations, considering you know the potential resistance or skill gaps among employees? And just also maybe talk about like some innovative ways that technology has been used to personalize skill development and learning. So change management. Yeah. Well, that phrase you used of, I know this is going to help me and why you pushed through that initial confusion. I, I, I mean, that's the key. So yeah. when you're rolling out a new piece of technology, it's really important to emphasize to people how this is going to help them solve a problem or get better at a problem they're currently solving. We really need to make sure that when we roll out a new platform or, you know, whatever that platform might be within the work context is that it is seen 
not to be putting something new on your plate. It's helping you with something that's already on your plate. We don't want to give people extra work. We're not trying to shove another thing into people's already busy day. We're here to help. We're here to make what you're doing easier, more successful, more valuable, easier to measure. So Align with the business is something we're also hearing. We partnered with uh, Red Thread Research and, and some other folks around just what makes this so successful and aligning with the business leaders as part of rolling out that technology is, is super critical because we in HR and L&D, we want to make this skills transformation and that's really cool for us and that's really you know something we're passionate about. But somebody in sales or in product development or in supply chain, they might not care about this. So we can't say we're trying to make this transformation. We need you to come help us out. It's we know you're struggling with things. We're here to help you. And oh, by the way, this is also going to have these other wonderful benefits of, of becoming a skills-based organization. Yeah. Another, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you please. So another thing that... I always refer to as the cheat code. And while it's not easy to do, it's, I, I would say it's arguably the most important thing when you're rolling out a new platform is manager adoption and engagement around utilization of that new piece of technology. A lot of times when people roll out a new piece of technology, it's very top heavy. Our CEO released a video saying, everyone go check out the new CRM or our, our VP of sales said, yeah. go check out our new, you know, our new Salesforce instance. But if my manager is not asking me about this piece of technology, <laughs> they're not using this piece of technology. That's all I need to know about whether this is an important use of my time. So if you can get managers on board to not only be using the product, but also working that product into the conversations and the work that they're doing with their team, it just makes all of the other yeah. typical obstacles of digital adoption much easier to deal with because people understand the relevance. Uh, they see it closer to the work that they're actually doing, and it just makes everything else a little bit easier. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I totally hear what you're saying about new technology. And if your manager's not on board with so many other things to do, you're probably not going to do it. One tactical feature of digital adoption technology I like that I've seen is that at companies I've worked at, we've created it. So instead of like emails, like you'll pull up your email and then your computer will freeze and it'll say, we just invested in Workday or success factors. Click here to get started. Just a seamless way to get people started so they're not digging through emails. So I appreciate that. and love to hear what are kind of the, some of the most common, you know, because a lot of people, they choose to do digital adoption based on challenges they see in an application they think it could be optimized with. So what are some of the most common software applications that you've seen optimized and better used and, and driving that skills-based approach through digital adoption? Feel free to share a few examples. Yeah, and this is this is also one of the, the challenges of becoming a skills-based organization is there are a lot of platforms and tools in most large organizations that touch school skills or at least are skills adjacent. So how do you make sense of this? How do you connect these things together? So for example, there's things like a learning management system, which sort of houses your, your internally built content. There's learning experience platforms like a Degreed that helps pull from multiple sources, multiple vendors, enable social learning and, and do a lot of other cool things. 
There's also typically an HRIS or a talent system, like a Workday or an SAP that houses your sort of broader spectrum of your employee profile. There's career pathing things like a GLOAT or an Eightfold that help people sort of navigate and find different career paths. There's also now an emerging field of just skills intelligence. So, you know, Lightcast, TechWolf, Skyhive, some of these other organizations that are helping people map some of the skills to roles or, or identify sort of hot critical skills in the market based on labor data. And the question then becomes, we have all these places that skills kind of sort of live. How do we make sense of them? But to this point of digital adoption, how do we get our users to make sense of them and to understand I do this over here and I do this over here? How do we make it feel seamless? How do we make it easy to navigate? So the technologies are, are getting better about integration. A lot of them are starting to do multiple things, which, which allows for consolidation, you know, degree being one of those that's that's branching out into more and more places. But I guess I, I'd love to hear your take on this around what are some examples of how you and what fix have helped users understand, I just entered a new system. What what the heck am I actually supposed to do here? Yeah, so it's, it's a couple of different approaches. So. I would say like the there's applications that are licensed for an entire population where the majority of the population isn't going to have to use it a lot. Like I'll give Workday as an example. So if you're a hiring manager, you're going to be doing a lot of talent requisitions, a lot of things in there. If you're an account director like me, you might go in and just use it for your performance review or comment on somebody else's performance review. But the reality is you license this technology to 50, 60,000 people. If those one or two year processes are not done correctly, it creates a lot of downstream errors and issues. So the key is, is to make those kind of peripheral secondary technology applications, such as Workday, make it easy to use. Now, another way that's even more effective is think about, you know, like a Salesforce. So in my, in my job, I'm in Salesforce 24-7. It's always updated. There's always changes. We need to have good data integrity. We need to have compliance so like literally, I'm able to get updates, information in real time about, Nick, you did not update you know, the proposal or the kickoff date for this implementation, as opposed to my manager calling me or slacking me or something like that. So it's basically just creating better digital experiences for those passive and those active applications. In terms of a few examples where I've seen digital adoption make a great impact, remember contact tracing during COVID. A lot of state governments... What they did is they hired contract tracers, which tended to be folks of a retired age who probably haven't used Salesforce. And the job of a contract tracer is to call different establishments and people and try to reduce the spread of COVID to prevent sickness and prevent death. So basically what happened is digital adoption was layered on top of their Salesforce. So when their, their people, you know, the range of about 60 to 75 came in, they didn't have to go through a tutorial on how to submit an opportunity, how to log a call. So in that instance, you're actually making a big impact, hopefully, you know, on humanity and on living. I've also seen, you know, for example, nurses and clinicians get better information in real time to be able to give patients information about how expensive a procedure will cost. So that's really fantastic. And then obviously you have the whole, you know, like data integrity compliance thing. So think about pharma and life sciences. There's really important information that if it's not entered correctly, could lead to downstream errors such as fines, errors with products. So a big part of digital adoption is saving us, the users, saving us from ourselves when we don't know we need mm -hmm. saving. 
So it's fantastic. It's really a blank canvas. There's so many examples. I appreciate you asking that. It would be helpful to understand like how can skill-based organizations balance the human element with technology? Basically to ensure that employees' soft skills and critical thinking abilities are also nurtured alongside technical skills. Yeah, it's a great question. A while ago, the focus became very much on on technical skills and quantifying and certifying technical skills. And even the phrase soft skill was almost sort of pejorative of like, it's this sort of squishy thing over here and we're not really sure what to do with that. People have come back the other direction and recognized that while those technical skills are critically important, those soft skills and and the rebranding of soft skills that you'll hear commonly is, is power skills. People have started to understand that those more intangible skills of leadership and presentation and critical thinking and creative problem solving, these are actually not only skills in and of themselves, but they are force multipliers in that they make you much more successful in deploying your other skills. Your technical skills get better by nature of having these more power skills, soft skills, however we want to label them. They're also critically important because they're a major path for internal mobility. If I'm looking to grow my career at a certain point, being really good at doing the work is not going to be enough. I'm going to have to start being able to articulate the value of the work that a team is doing. I'm going to have to start coaching. I'm going to have to start talking to other people outside of my department and collaborating. So these are the skills that not only make me more successful now, uh, but are also going to help me grow. And then the last reason that power skills, aka soft skills, are critically important is because of the shelf life of those things. Technical skills become obsolete faster and faster nowadays. So while they're still important, if you're hiring someone or training someone based just on the technical skills they need today, three years from now, all of those skills might be completely irrelevant whereas the soft skills last much longer. They can be applied in many more different situations and circumstances. I think it was Google that that coined the term smart generalists, that they like to hire smart generalists because they are people that know a little bit about a lot, but are very agile and quick and and learners and and can pick up new things because Google often doesn't know what they're going to be working on in a couple of years because they're a very innovative, fast-moving technology company that reality of not knowing what our work is going to look like in a couple of years, that's actually becoming a lot more commonplace in other industries now. So those soft skills can help people ride the wave and and kind of go through that change in addition to the technical skills, which are still very important. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're fostering like workplace versatility. Like if you Mm -hmm. were a, if you were a basketball player, what your company does is you get people to play all five positions, regardless of their height or speed and, you know, let's be honest, that's what everybody wants is to be recognized and appreciated. And I think we all want like different skills besides our core job responsibilities. So that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And one thing I talk to my clients about is most people have not done digital adoption technology. A lot of the thought leadership is around center of excellence and scaling a digital adoption program where you have dedicated employees and dozens of applications. But the reality is Probably 99% of people, if you fast forward to the future in five or six years of digital adoption clients, they aren't clients today. The majority of people are just dipping their toes in the water and trying to understand how can they get some small wins through initial digital adoption technology implementation. And from your perspective, why don't we help them out, let them know what are some things to avoid and what do you want to make sure that you do for that first implementation? And before you answer, 
it's important because, you know, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression with technology and you want that first implementation to go well. So any thoughts you have there would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right that this is still something where it has not been done as intentionally or as, as thoughtfully in the past as people are going to start doing it moving forward because they, they have to. So one of the best practices we always recommend is, is to just be specific uh, avoid feature overload. A lot of these systems and tools and technologies that, that we're rolling out, they're very cool. They're very sophisticated. They have a ton of bells and whistles. There's 50 things you could do in that platform, but I don't have time to do all, all those 50 things. So if you just dump me in there and tell me about the many things I could do, what's probably lost on me is what is the thing I should do? What is the thing that is actually most important given the 20 minutes I'm going to spend in this thing the first time, 20 minutes is probably even longer than, than realistic. So make sure you're prioritizing. And while there's 20 things this new platform could do, all we're asking you to do right now is one and two. And we're going to keep it very simple. It's very easy to measure. It's very easy to reinforce. It makes sure I have a good experience because I feel like I, I used the thing and I figured out it was easy for me to engage with. And it's also nice because you can come back later and add those additional priorities. Yeah. It's a nice way to sustain your engagement rather than flood them with, hey, here's 20 cool things you could do. When you parcel it out, it's just a lot easier for people to make sense of and to, to do what you're asking and create that value in an intentional way. That's why Netflix doesn't release all of their movies for the year in January. You'd spend so much time scrolling, you, you wouldn't watch anything. They, they give you a little bit each month so, so you can consume it and you can, you can make sense of it and create some value. That point around coming back to users is also a best practice. A lot of people put all their eggs in the launch and there's, you know, fireworks and we have giveaways and we're giving people swag and launch, launch, launch. And then three months later, it's crickets. What you get is a lot of people coming in the door, but they don't necessarily come back or it falls off of their plate. Oh yeah, that thing. I forgot about that thing. So when you're rolling out a new process, you really have to treat this like a product. You have to build a marketing campaign like this is a product. Yes, you want to make a big noise at launch, but that's just step one. Yeah. What happens a month later? What happens six weeks later? What happens three months later to keep this top of mind? We talk about at Degreed, we, we reference the hum sing shout model, where you want to think about a launch is a shout. It's a big noise. A sing is something that is, you know, every six weeks, something that is that is visible, but isn't as big as a launch. Uh, and then the hum are the always on. So how can you embed this into other systems? How can you embed this into other processes? So they're encountering it. It's easy to come back to throughout the process. One example of this insurance provider I worked with, they had six critical skills that they wanted to use as the basis for their launch of Degreed. But rather than push all six skills, as that can feel maybe overwhelming, they parceled it out. So each six-week, I think it was six-week sprints, they would pick one skill to focus on. They were very specific with their ask of the users. They're very intentional around the measurement to show progress, show value. And then they went to skill number two, and it was a nice way to keep people engaged, have that regular drumbeat of interactions to build a habit rather than just a one time, oh, this is cool, but it's not a habit. It's not part of my daily work unless you really put in the time and, and build those repeated experiences. Yeah, no, I mean, all of that, I agree with 100%. 
One thing I've noticed too, most of these implementations go well, but the times where they could be better, it was when there was ambiguity around who's going to own what part of the implementation and building process. So, you know, sometimes you might have a professional services org, ours, or you might have an organization like yours. Some people, they like to do it internally. I think it's really important. Yes, digital adoption is user-friendly, but it is not set it and forget it. And I think during the evaluation process, people need to understand how much human capital they can use and what they can rely on, you know, either their software providers, professional services, or a third-party professional services, or any other area. So like planning those implementations is important for me. And that's really helpful. I appreciate you going over that. So as we wrap up today's episode, it's been really helpful, been really good. I guess like, is there anything you want to leave our audience with on this topic? You've covered so much and it's all been so helpful, but. Yeah, to me, one of the things that is most important that I always try to stress with the clients I work with is just get started. This, this is good. If you, yeah. if you, they think too much about this, it's going to feel very overwhelming. And, and there it is a lot. It is a big transformational push. It's worth it. But the hardest part is just taking that first step and really picking one thing, doing it, doing it well, and then moving on to the next. If you wait until all the questions have been answered and you've thought through all the permutations and how is this system going to connect with that system and how are we going to deal with this population over here, You'll just never get started, that analysis paralysis. So yeah. don't wait for perfect. 80% is good enough. Maybe 70% is good enough. But the more you try to push it to 100% perfect, there's just diminishing returns. You're going to be spinning your wheels. Totally. Get something good enough, something you feel confident is going to create value, and just jump. Roll it out to a smaller group, pilot it, do what you need to do. But the organizations that are moving the fastest aren't trying to do these big moonshots where they do everything at once. It's the ones that are moving agilely and piece by piece, step by step, and just taking action every day rather than spending years planning for this, this big magical thing that's going to happen someday and, and never really happens. Yeah. It's kind of like, as Nike says, just do it. <laughs> exactly. Campaign yeah. for this, right? Let's get the big swish out there. Exactly. Um, so, and finally, the most important question of the day. So I've been reading tons in the news about the movies are back, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Are you a Barbie guy, an Oppenheimer guy, both, neither? Well, I have one daughter and another daughter on the way. So I'm sure oh, at some point, man. thank you, I will become a Barbie guy. For now, though, I my once upon a time, my, my original path was uh, I was a history major so Oppenheimer speaks speaks to that part of me. For so now, so now I'm an Oppenheimer. I'm sure at some point, whether I like it or not, I'll wind up a Barbie guy. Oh, that's fine. I, I studied American government and history too. We could probably talk about that for hours. There you go. That's the other podcast. I know we got to wrap up, Ben. This was awesome. It was so nice to get to know you more. Thank you for all you're doing for advocating, you know, the category of digital adoption and all you do for your clients. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Keep it real, and we'll talk to you next time. Great. Thank you.